0: morning so years ago I had a, a bit of a revelation um, it was not original with me I'm sure other people had, have had uh, similar I know for a fact other people have had similar revelations but I didn't at that time learn it from anyone else that I can remember it just it just kind of struck me one day I was sitting in my living room and I was reading scripture or praying I don't actually remember what I was doing but then something just kind of dawned on me and struck me and that I do remember quite well See, in my younger years as a, as a follower of Jesus, and then as Kim and I served overseas with uh, Youth with a Mission, the words of what we call Jesus' Great Commission were sort of drilled into our hearts and minds. And from early on in my own relationship with Christ, I had those words memorized. They come from Matthew chapter 20. Come on. Can you move me over there? It's not moving. And I'm not moving it. And you're not moving it. It's died. Well, I can still read it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And be sure this is a commandment, even though we don't call it that refer to it as a commission. We are to go and we are to make disciples of all nations. We are to introduce people to the good news of Jesus Christ and we are to invite them into a relationship with Christ and life in the kingdom of God. And we are to help them to to learn what it means to follow Jesus more faithfully, uh, to become a better disciple, what we call around here becoming more Christiform people. But what suddenly struck me as I was praying and meditating, or whatever I was doing that day in my living room, was this. The Great Commission to make disciples of all nations does not stand alone. The Great Commission does not stand alone. The Great Commission is birthed out of the Great Commandment. The Great Commission is birthed out of the Great Commandment. But what is the Great Commandment? And that's where today's passage gets us going. To question one another about the finer details of the law, the 613 commandments found within the Jewish law, this was uh, common among scholars and religious leaders in Jesus' day. You might see it as an early precursor to Twitter and Facebook, I suppose. That's what we see going on in the beginning of our passage this morning, Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. A scholar posts a question on his Facebook page and he tags Jesus in the question. He's trying to bait Jesus into this debate. Jesus takes the bait, he posts a comment. And as Jesus often does, he posts a comment in the form of answering a question with a question. Verses 26 and 27. What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. In other places in the gospel, it is Jesus who answers this question. Mark 12, Matthew 22. But here the tables are turned. Jesus answers the question with the question and the expert in the law gives the answer and we're going to discover momentarily the answer that he gives is correct there it is the answer that he gives is correct the revelation that hit me that day in my living room was just this when jesus was point blank asked what the greatest commandment in all of scripture was three quarters of this book the hebrew scriptures he didn't answer with the great commission go and make disciples of all nations he answered with something else he answered in Luke 10, not to name just one commandment, but to name two. And then he linked them together, which we now call the greatest commandment. In fact, these two commandments are found in two different places in uh, our Old Testament. The call to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The call to love our neighbors as ourselves is found in Leviticus 19, 18. In the Gospel of Mark's version of all this, chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus adds this. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's Jesus' way of saying that you can only obey the first commandment, love of God, if you obey the second commandment, love of neighbor. You can only fully obey the first commandment, love of God, if you obey the second commandment, love of neighbor. If we say we love God, but we do not know how to love our neighbors, the reality is that we do not love God as fully as we think we do or as well as we think we do. We're missing an important piece. The great commandment in Luke 10, Mark 12, Matthew 22, comes before the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Why? Why? Because the commission to make disciples flows out of the commandment to love God and to love our neighbors. In other words, we seek to win people to Christ, to make disciples, and to teach them everything Jesus commanded because that is an expression of our love for God and our love for others. So since that afternoon in my living room, this has been at the heart of my own desire to seek to follow Jesus. It's been at the heart of my understanding of uh, my mission, my calling in the kingdom of God. Love of God and love of neighbor. Love of God and love of neighbor. After all, as Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 40, all the law and the prophets, about that much of our Bibles, all the law and the prophets hang or depend on these two. Another translation says, These two sum up all of that. Whatever else we do as followers of Jesus, as missionaries, as pastors, as people called to be the presence of Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and where we work, whatever else we do flows or should flow out of our obedience to Jesus' clearly stated greatest commandment to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Back in Luke chapter 10 Jesus is is pleased with the answer given by the expert in the law. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But of course, in this case, there's more to the story. This expert in the law has passed the quiz on content. He's not done as well on the part of the application. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? There's different ways to hear that. You heard the way my wife read it. I like to say, and who is my neighbor? Like he knows. He thinks he's he's after something here. He's so close. But no cigar. It looks like he knows the right answer, but then he decides to justify himself. Because knowing the right answer and doing the right thing are not the same thing. Knowing the right answer and doing the right thing are not the same thing. He decides to make himself look good, perhaps so he can prove that he does, in fact, already love his neighbor. Now, it's important for us to realize, if we don't already know, that to him, to the expert in the law, the word neighbor only meant fellow Jewish neighbor. The word neighbor only meant fellow Jewish neighbor. So perhaps, perhaps he's expecting... Hoping that Jesus, in answer to his question, and who is my neighbor, he will answer it with the traditional answer, your fellow Jews. They are your neighbors. Go and love them well. To which the expert in the law might well have responded, I do that all the time. He would have justified himself. He would have looked good to Jesus. He would have looked good to everyone else. And then he could save himself back to the original question he asked I have eternal life. I'm in. But again, knowing the right answer and doing the right thing are not the same thing. What this man did not realize was that eternal life was not merely something to come later after we die because as Dallas Willard is very fond of saying or was very fond of saying eternity is now in session. Eternity is now in session. Eternal life is standing right before you but it. It is about much more than having all the right answers. In his prayer for his disciples and us, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17.3, Jesus prays this to God. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they know you, and that they know me, Jesus says. Eternal life is about knowing Christ in the here and now, not just in the hereafter. Eternal life, as Jesus is about to show, is about loving God and loving your neighbors. All of them. And with that, Jesus then tells this expert in the law, one of the most famous parables in all of Scripture, what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in doing so, Jesus takes that word neighbor, and he deepens it, and he stretches it far more so than this guy could have possibly imagined. He messes with his world. Now, the word neighbor will not just include Jews, it will include Gentiles, and even further, it's going to include the people you despise. It's going to include your enemies. In reply to the man's question about who his neighbors were, Jesus told a story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These first two people who come upon the man who has been attacked and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road are highly respected religious leaders in the Jewish faith. In a study conducted in 1973 at Princeton Theological Seminary, the students were seminary students were instructed to go across campus to preach a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. To make it a little better, they told some of the students that they were late and they needed to hurry up and get to the other side of the campus to preach this sermon for the class. As a part of the research, the, the people doing the research had placed an actor in the pathway along the campus who pretended to be wounded or in pain and in great distress. The study found that that in their haste, 90% of the late students ignored the needs of the suffering person on the path. 90%. The study reports, quote, Indeed, on several occasions, the seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried away. Now, of course, these seminary students, like the expert in the law in our passage, may have indeed passed the class that day. They may have preached an incredible sermon. People may have come to faith. Revival may have broken out. But they failed in the practical application of loving God and loving their neighbors. Likewise, the priest and the Levite failed too. But there is one more traveler yet to appear, yet to appear on the scene, yet to come down the road. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, Here's some more interpretation for you. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. A Samaritan. If you've been in church long enough, you know there's a backstory here. There's a very long, deep, divisive backstory here. And the reason Jesus chose this man as the unlikely hero of the parable. The New Living Translation of the Bible says that Jesus called him a despised Samaritan. That word despised is not in there, but that is exactly right. They were despised by most, if not uh, all, Jews at the time. Samaritans were despised. They were were seen as heretical half breeds and if not by all Jews, certainly by the likes of this expert in the law. And Jesus makes... That guy, the hero, knew exactly what he was doing. He was setting this guy up. He was setting the expert in the law up. Let me just make a few observations about the role of the Samaritan in the passage. First, let's note that while the other two should have known better, passed by, this Samaritan took time to notice someone who was in obvious pain and distress. He did not step over him. The Samaritan saw the one who was in need. He simply saw him he saw him we are bombarded by news feeds that are jam-packed full of stories of poverty and war and pain and violence and sorrow we too can be tempted simply to pass by it's too much to look at sometimes we reason that we simply cannot carry all these burdens and you know what that's true we can't we can't carry all the burdens we see on our news feeds or on our television screens. We're not meant to. I don't think God designed us to carry all those things. And yet, somehow, we're now able to know all those things that we didn't used to have the technology to know. We didn't have the capacity to carry it all. And yet, the Samaritan took time to truly see this one wounded man by the side of the road, though he was his enemy. He was his enemy. He simply took note of the person right in front of him. This morning, our hope is to put children in need right in front of you as well. You, you cannot care for them all. But might God be inviting you into the joy, into the privilege of sponsoring a child or two through Covenant Kids Congo, powered by World Vision? He saw him. Second, we are told that this Samaritan had something the priest and the Levite did not have, compassion. The Samaritan showed him compassion. The New International Version says he took pity on the man, but the Greek idiom, Uh, in in the original language, is about being moved deeply from the gut. think in terms of the heart, in this case, it was the gut. Therefore, I actually like the word compassion as the best translation of what's going on. And once again, it's time for us to enjoy fun with words on the word compassion, coming from the Latin, come and passio, come together, passio, to suffer, to suffer together. It is to enter into the pain. It is to suffer together. The Samaritan, moved in the the very depths of his being, chooses to suffer together, to have compassion on this victim. And what, what does that even mean? It means that it costs him something. It means that it costs him something. It costs him the time he took to bandage the man and get him to the end. Whatever appointments he may have missed by doing so, It cost him the finances to cover the cost of his care when he left him with the innkeeper. He said, look, if he needs anything, I'll cover that too. If he gets into the mini-fridge, I'll cover that too. Just put it on my tab. To show compassion can be costly. So this morning we are inviting you, especially if you've not done so, to suffer with children and families in the Democratic Republic of Congo, to show compassion that will cost you something, $39 a month. (laughs) You're getting a deal, because I'm currently paying $40, so somehow they knocked it down to $39. $39. Third observation we need to make is that the help that the Samaritan offered was very practical. The Samaritan met the man's needs in very practical ways. He bandaged the man's wounds. He took him to an inn. He made sure his physical needs were tended to in his absence. He put his money where his mouth was. On the night before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, in a speech, he referenced this passage from Luke chapter 10. And he referred to what the Samaritan did as dangerous unselfishness. He says, Dr. King goes on, and he says, look, he says, uh, when the priest and Levite came by and they passed by on the other side, they were asking themselves the question, what will happen to me if I help this man? But the Samaritan comes in and he asks the opposite question, what will happen to this man if I don't help him? He took a risk, he put himself in danger, he stepped out. And perhaps we could have another question to be asked, if you and I don't help the people in need, what will happen to us? If we don't help the people in need, what will happen to us? What will happen to our heart or our character? For learning to show compassion to people in need is transformative. It is the way that we can become more Christ-like and Christiform people. And none of that is meant to be judgmental or condemning or guilt-inducing. It's meant to help us ask the question whether or not we can sponsor a child this morning. Maybe you can't sponsor a child this morning that's fine if you're at a stage you can't do that well that's fine all i ask is that in any situation you find yourself where you are confronted with a need you ask yourself the question of what you can do how you can enter into that how you can show compassion and suffer with someone who's going through difficulty kim and i chose to sponsor our first child through world vision when our children were quite young her name was zariatu she was from ghana she and her family later moved out of the area, which is probably a good thing. It means that they had gained some economic stability and could make choices like that. And so World Vision assigned us another child from another part of the world. Years later, I decided, um, that's, she had a very unusual name, at least for me, so I thought, I'm just going to Google her. And I found her on Facebook at a university somewhere. The work of World Vision It's many volunteers and staff, and yes, our monthly payment and the monthly payment of all the other people who support children made a difference in her life and in her community. And I can promise you that when we decided to sponsor her, it was not without some risk. This was back in the days when we just didn't have a lot of extra money lying around. and We had to really wrestle, can we do this? Can we commit to this? We decided in that moment that God wanted us to do it, so we did it. We took the step. We took the risk. And God met us. We've been doing that since 1996 or 97. We currently have two children we're sponsoring, and this morning we're going to pick up one more. Because I've seen God meet us. When I traveled in the Congo in the fall of 2015, I got the chance to meet Beatrice and Mardo Shea, the two we sponsored at the time. Since then, Mardo Shea and his family moved out of the area, again, probably for good reasons, So now we sponsor these two, Beatrice and you. I'm not sure how old he is, but she's 13. She just turned 13. And this is a great place to say that when you do sponsor a child through World Vision, you can connect with videos and pictures of them, updates on their health, what they're learning in school, what their hobbies are. Um, They'll draw you pictures and send them to you. And you can see a running tab of the impact your monthly gifts are making in that community. It's pretty extensive to be able to look at it on their website. In 2012, our denomination, the larger Evangelical Covenant Church, we just call it the Covenant, joined with World Vision in what was then and maybe still is an unprecedented partnership. Never before had World Vision partnered with an entire denomination. By partnering with us, World Vision allowed us to focus our sponsorships on a specific section of the Congo where we have had missionary work for 85 years. All of our sponsorships and the more than 10,000 children that are currently sponsored by coventers around the country are focused on the northwestern section of uh, the DRC in the city of Gemina, the area known as Ledia. Now, there's a tiny little yellow star up in that notch in the upper left-hand corner of the country. That's where I was, that's where the three communities that we work with uh, through World Vision are located. The sponsorship raised over the past 10 years has built schools. I've seen them. Created financial partnerships for micro-lending to help women start new businesses. And a whole lot more than that. I'm just giving you just a few. And most, probably most importantly, cap springs and created uh, filling stations for clean water, which is one of the, if not the biggest obstacle to eliminating poverty in the third world. Our participation in Covenant Kids Congo powered by World Vision is making a difference and there's still a lot of work to do. Currently, ECC people sponsor 114 children in the Congo. World Vision has a goal for us to add an additional 25 to 35 more. Can we do it? Will you pray about it? That's my question. That's my invitation. Normally on a weekend like this, you would go out into the lobby at the end of the service and you would see pictures strung up of children and you would go and pick one. But over the last few years, God has moved World Vision to flip the script. Now we sign up and have our pictures taken and the children of the Congo choose us. In order to do this, to participate, you simply text our keyword, Life" to the number 56170. Give it a little time. It takes a minute for the link to come back. Click on the link. That will take you to a sign-up uh, page on the Internet. It's pretty simple. There you have to fill out some basic information. The first question you're going to see is how many children would you like to sponsor? One, two, or more. Fill that information in. <clears throat> you also need a bank account number or a credit card number at least to get you started. And once you get to that that's, that part in filling things out, you hit submit donation, and you'll be invited then to take a picture. If you're here in person, we invite you to go out into the lobby after the service Uh, and to uh, over in the corner there where the coffee is served, Margaret Martin will be there and others to help you get your picture taken on your phone, which then you upload. Um, We'll also be there to help you with other questions you might have as far as texting and that sort of thing. If you're joining us online, obviously you can do this where you are. You just take a selfie. Wherever you are, just take a selfie. You can upload that too. Everybody can take part. You will be able to sign up today until 10 p.m. tonight. You can still sign up after that, but you're you're not going to find out who your child is next Sunday if you do after that. it would take another week for that to happen. Then later this week, all of our pictures are printed off, strung up in a room in, uh, in the Congo, and the children will come into that room, and they will choose us. Instead of having to wait to be chosen, they are being empowered to do the choosing, and once they've chosen, they will have a party. And then next Sunday... September the 4th, when you arrive in worship, you will be given a package with a picture of the child who chose you. If you're not able to join us for some reason, I know it's a holiday weekend next Sunday, you will also get an email. Right now, just I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to just watch a a brief video on a chosen story, and then as the team uh, comes up, the worship team comes up and sings, invite you to a prayer of time and response. The information on how to do this will be projected on the screen during that time. And then after worship, please join us in the lobby for picture-taking and any help you might need in, in getting that signed up. And, of course, head across the parking lot to join us for our community picnic. Let me, let me close this in prayer. God, I thank you for the teaching of Jesus, a parable 2,000 years old that still speaks with power today, for we all have situations in our lives where, that require compassion. We all have people in our lives that we may despise. And we all, Lord God, are called by you to love you and to love one another and to love our neighbors. I pray, um, I pray, Lord, that we would hear you speak if you were calling us to do this. That there would be no guilt, no condemnation for those who cannot right now or are not, not yet ready. But God, for those of us who are, for those of us you are calling, help us to hear you and to take that step and to trust that you are at work. And I pray that in and through the additional sponsorships that we are able to, to gain this morning, that you would continue to do the work you have been doing for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the people in the Congo. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.